this is Tom Bailey, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Ira Glass. I, I agree with what you're saying, but you're saying that as if that's two different people. I think the entire culture includes those of us who are like checking Twitter every time we get into an elevator and like, you know, just, just getting satisfaction from the briefest little information means. Ira is on the road again. Yes, the host of This American Life, uh, one of my broadcasting heroes. We're going to talk to him in just a few minutes. We have a song of the week and a mini concert review coming up from the 1975. But first, a dumb bit. So now it's time for another installment of... What kind of nonsense is that? So this happened this week. Good evening. We begin tonight with breaking news. One signature that could be the first step toward overturning the Supreme Court's landmark Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion. Just over an hour ago, Alabama's Republican Governor Kay Ivey signed into law the most restrictive abortion bill in the country. And uh, you've probably seen a lot about this on Facebook and Twitter and so forth, uh, this very restrictive uh, abortion law. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, this, you know, this is white men, old white men deciding what is best for women. And a lot of people, you know, pointed out accurately uh, the second part of that. I'll repeat that for you. Alabama's Republican Governor Kay Ivey signed into law the most restrictive abortion bill in the country. Yes, the uh, person that signed it into law, the governor of Alabama, is a woman, uh, Kay Stevens. Kay Stevens is 74 years old. She will never, ever, ever have to make that decision ever again in her life if she ever had to make it, ever. So that's the, the first thing I would like to point out. And the other people uh, caught this clip of Pat Robertson uh, saying this. I think Alabama has gone too far. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law, and they want to challenge Roe versus Wade. But my humble view is that this is not the case we want to bring to the Supreme Court because I think this one will lose. And people were like, wow, Pat Robertson thinks it's too far. That must be too far. No, no. Pat Robertson doesn't think it goes too far at all. Listen, listen closely. That this is not the case we want to bring to the Supreme Court because I think this one will lose. He thinks it goes too far to be to overturn Roe versus Wade. He didn't give a shit about rape or incest. What are you nuts? If if you got raped or a victim of incest, and you went to Pat Roberts and said, "Wow, this happened to me. I'd like to get an abortion," you'd say, "Well, sweetheart, you're going to burn in hell for that." He thinks it goes too far, horse pucky. So the other thing I wanted to point out is, uh, and as I've always said in this in this issue, is that uh, the 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 anti-choicers. I'm going to go with that word now because they use colorful language. I will too. The anti-choicers they have the current of a good argument. They think they're saving babies. A lot of them honestly think they're saving babies, and a lot of them want to control women's bodies, but I do think there's a, a good contingency to think they're actually saving babies, and that's fine. The only problem is, is if I really thought you cared about babies, I might be right there with you, but, and I couldn't find any audio of this shockingly or video, but I'll bring up two little bits of news from Alabama here. Um, the CHIP program in Alabama, program for uh, underprivileged and poor kids, uh, for, able, for them to get medical attention. Uh, my buddy, who worked uh, two jobs, uh, he, he, would, he would work open to close at our airport every day. He'd work at the place I worked at, he'd, then he'd do an afternoon shift for an company, and he would have two day, 
days off, the same days off from the, so he'd have two full days off in a row to spend with his family. But he would work from 6 a.m. in the morning until midnight, five days a week. Another cute story, I might have told this before, he had a late model Pontiac Bonneville, it wasn't super nice, but it was an okay car, got stopped at least, at least once a month for driving while black. No other reason. They would just pull him over because he was driving. He was a, a black man in a fairly decent car. Well, he must be up to no good. Nope, just going to work or coming from work, sir. So anyway, his kids were in the CHIP program. That's how I know about it. And um, uh, they're, they're not funding it in Alabama this year. The people that care so much about kids are not funding a program to get kids health care. Uh, there's uh, new gun laws in Alabama they're supporting, though. So you can get a lifetime uh, carry permit for the state of Alabama. So um, that's, that's helpful. They care more about giving you know, people guns that may eventually be used against children, uh, you know, more than about the actual children. Here's the whole, their whole attitude. Once you're out of the womb, fuck you. <laughs> here's your flak jacket. Here's your gun. Good luck. What kind of nonsense is that? Ira Glass makes his second appearance on our show. He's on the road again with Seven Things I've Learned. It's a little collection of stories uh, drawn from This American Life and other places. And uh, here now is our interview with Ira Glass. Hello, Ira. Hello. Hey, how's, how's it going? Good, good. How's it going? Good, good. Good to talk to you again. Uh, we did this a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but um, uh, and I, I wanted to ask you, is it okay if we use the audio uh, on my podcast again like we did last time? Yes, totally fine. Cool, so, man. Would you rather, like I could do, a, we could do this as a tape sync from a studio. If that would oh, be no, fun. no, it's fine. I, I, no, no, my setup, my setup's fine here. This is, this is perfect. Okay. Cool, man. Okay, hold on. Let me, let me, let me just close the door. In the room. Sure. All right. Okay. All right, great. So, um, so seven things you've learned. Um, you've been doing the show for a while. What was kind of the origin of it? How did this one come about? I mean, honestly, the origin uh, of it was um, was uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to make a new talk because <laughs> I'd already been everywhere with 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 the talk I was doing, and yeah. then um, and then I toured around the country with a show that I did where I where it was a show which combined radio stories and dance. That's and right. Then we kind of went everywhere that we possibly could with that show, and then I feel like, oh, I should come up with something else because I want to. I want to stay on the road. So, so, um, so I came up with this, and and what's different about this is that, uh, is that basically it's it's just an excuse to tell like seven fun stories that are fun to tell an audience, and there's video and uh, and all kinds of uh, audio that I've never played publicly, um, that that I share. So is it really the seven things you've learned? Oh, I guess it is seven things you've learned. It's not like maybe the seven most important things you've learned, or is it just that they fit well with these stories? Or is it kind of a, a happy medium? It's, it's more. I mean, the, the truth, like the honest truth is that it's just the seven. The, the, the title seven things I've learned is just an excuse to tell like seven stories that we uh, tell in front of an audience. Which okay. change actually. They've changed since I started the speech. I've changed. I've changed around a bunch. Okay. So and um, and uh, but but they are all things that I've learned. They are all about things that I've learned for sure. Okay, and th- these are kind of like uh, sort of like life lessons, or the things you've realized. A couple, m- but a couple, but a couple are just kind of like uh, uh, fun, funny stories or amusing stories to hear. And are they derived from the show, or are they things that you've done maybe in the course of doing a show that didn't actually end up being a story, or? Um, some are derived from the show. Some are things that never became a story on the show. Um, 
a couple are like video things, video projects that we made uh, that I thought contained something worth uh, talking about. Okay, so because I remember you were, uh, we discussed before that you know you guys would have these piles of things that would sit on your desk for years and years, and they didn't have like a thing to go with them to make it a part of the bigger arc. And then sometimes these things would never find a home. Yes, this is not. It's not. It's not any of those. Like like those. those like it's rare for those to ever like kind of like make the light of day. Um. So these are other things. So, um, so storytelling has really kind of become uh, a big thing in this country, and I don't think people really realize how it's kind of, you know, uh, permeated our society, or I guess it's always been there, but just in the ways with, you know, podcasts and all the, and the and I guess the, the rise of television again as like the big entertainment medium. Um, do you think you kind of were ahead of the curve on that, or are you just one of the people in the mix? I mean, I think for a certain corner of like telling stories, we were ahead of the curve. But that corner is so like, small and specialized. I, I don't feel a great amount of pride. I mean, I think that that uh, you, uh, you know our radio show went on the air in 1995, and we were doing a kind of like narrative journalism that is you know, and uh, on radio that other people weren't weren't doing as much. And um, and 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 when I say narrative journalism, I mean like we're doing like reporting that we were doing stories where there's uh, characters and plot and, uh, and scenes and funny moments and emotional moments and, and a full story arc. Um, and, but they were true stories that, you know, uh, uh, either like personal stories of people's lives or things that are in the news, either way, they, they were, but they, but they were like stories that were, that were like sort of old fashioned narrative stories versus like, you know, the kind of breaking news story that I would do when I worked on all things considered. Um, and um and and so 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 you know we started doing the, the kind of like narrative journalism as audio on this American life and then I think I think a lot of um a lot of people heard like oh that was like that's a really fun way to do a story and then other people started doing their own shows improving on it and having their own spin on it you know from radio lab and and uh and uh snap judgment to invisibilia you know uh reply all the daily um you know, just now there's 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 a whole world of podcasts out there, including Serial, which we made. Yeah, uh, weirdly, uh, my main job is I I work for a t-shirt company. I write their blog posts and everything, and we do a podcast. Um, and they did it because the podcast you're on right now is was so successful, successful enough for them, I guess. I got I have like eight nine thousand weekly listeners, which for a guy sitting in his family room is I guess pretty impressive. So they had me do the wow, show. Wait, it's a podcast about the t-shirt business? Yeah, well, what it is is it's it's called Cincy Shirts, and uh, we make shirts. Of, mostly things have gone out of business, old sports teams that no longer exist. That's that's the bulk of it. Although we have a license with our our soccer team here in town. Uh, FC Cincinnati, our new Major League Soccer team, and uh, we have a license with the zoo, which, uh, do, I don't know if you ever heard of Fiona, she was the hippopotamus that was born uh, prematurely, and then they nursed her back to health, so we made a bunch of t-shirts of her with the zoo's blessing and gave money back to the zoo, and um, but it's mostly defunct sports teams and old businesses, and we just talk to people from that love Cincinnati and the town and can tell stories either about these things or some interesting thing that they're doing, and it became, it's like a 
storytelling podcast in a way. It's sometimes it's interview if you don't know the person very well, but other times they tell these great stories. Like we have a guy that owns the oh, big restaurant really in town. Cool. Yeah, so we've been able to kind of take. I, there's, there's a little little bit of I'd say this American Life DNA in there somewhere, in that like the the big restaurant owner in town told all these great stories about George W. Bush visiting the restaurant and and uh, driving Bob Hope's car from Los Angeles to Palm Springs when he was 21, and his dad owned the restaurant because. Bob Hope loved the restaurant, and he got to drive Bob Hope's caddy out to Palm Springs. Just neat things like that. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, so like I said, so it's really you know the the whole this American Life storytelling thing has really gone you know kind of even beyond radio and podcast because like like I was saying, the resurgence of television. I think there's a small hand in that because people have really. Approached... <laughs> I don't think we have anything to do with that at all. But I, <laughs> I, I, think, say, like, I think I, I was uh, say, but I, I think, think some. Uh, I think the Sopranos. <laughs> well, that, I know, but I think no. I, I would argue that subconsciously, I think that seed was planted where people think, oh, you can tell longer stories and people have an attention span because there's that dichotomy of people just get things from memes and they're done. And then there's other people that listen to This American Life and uh, what's the TED Talks and things like that. Then what? But I think I, I agree with what you're saying. But you're saying that as, as if that's two different people. I think the entire culture includes those of us who are like checking Twitter every time we get into an elevator and like you know just just getting satisfaction from the briefest little information memes. Um, and, and but we are the same people who you know have watched at this point forty or fifty hours of Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And I feel like the most common thing is that like we all are both things. Like like I don't I, like I do I do think that when people talk about how there's some sort of like people's attention spans are shorter, I think that is just on its face completely untrue because you don't have to look very far to see. Yeah, we're all like spending dozens of hours binge watching these incredible TV shows. Yeah, and I'm also one of these people, I think a lot of, probably people, a lot of people in the This American Life audience and that are coming to see your show, or we like that little bit of information, but we're people that once we get that little bit of information, we, we want more, or we want to verify it, or see if there's more to it, or it opens up these other questions. And there's other people that just be like, yep, meme is fine with me, thanks. <laughs> I'll just, go, I'll go spread this all over the internet now. <laughs> um. I, I don't feel qualified to to have any comment on what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, as, um, when you're when you were building uh, this show, like, how is it different than you know than building an episode of This American Life? I, I assume that's two different disciplines, certainly. And we got in a, on the last conversation we had, we talked in detail about how you put the show together. But how with the live show? How is that? Uh, is there many hands on on deck for it? I guess is a Good question to start with. No, like one of the big differences in making the show that I'm touring with is uh, making This American Life. Is, but This American Life, like it really is a team of over a dozen of us, like really thinking through all, like all the big editorial decisions. Whereas this, I just put it together myself. Excuse me. Um, and, uh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, and, uh, and, and 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 so and and so that was different, but 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 what was the same is, is that you know I'm, I'm really just making stories that that you know are are you know have a plot and are fun to listen to and with characters where you want to find out like what's going to happen to them. I mean, it, it's a show. It's you know it's basically telling a bunch of stories that are very similar to what we put on the radio. And so people like what they're hearing on the radio. This is kind of an on stage version, but with video too. So you're kind of like a guy in the band that kind of has a solo project because he wants to do something a little bit different than what the band is doing, but it's still kind of, still kind of coming from the same yeah, place. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, exactly. 
And so, uh, so as far as the show is going these days, I'm a, I'm a little bit behind because I used to have an hour drive one way to work, and I got to catch up on all my podcasts, and now I've like got stacks and stacks of them. It's like, you ever heard that Gary Goldman joke where he talks about Netflix, and he says, I just lay in bed thinking, i got to be up watching movies here. I've got too many movies in my queue. I'm like that with podcasts now. But um, so how do you think the show has, has changed over the years? Because I, I think it's, it's remained pretty true to itself, you know, in the, oh, gosh, 20 or so years I've been listening to it. I, I mean, there definitely have been shifts in the show over the course of, over the course of time, um, and uh, and the, like one of the big ones is that when we started as a as a show, we were a very small staff, and uh, and the way that we made the show, uh, like it was really designed uh, to apply the tools of journalism that were ver- to, to things that were very small and personal, and not the kinds of things that journalists were generally reporting on uh, very personal stories like that happened inside people's families or somebody heads off on some quest, you know, for a thing they're trying to do, a business they're trying to build, a dream they have. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and this is in the 1990s. And then, and then, and then, and then a couple of things happened. One is, um, you know, we did a ton of those stories, and as a staff, we're just like, let's do something else. The second is that memoir became this genre, uh, so other people were, were mining the same territory. And then the internet kicked in, so there were lots of personal stories around all the time from everyday people on social media and just kind of everywhere. And uh, and so the idea of, like, you know, exploring people's personal stories in this kind of mass setting um, seemed less new and less exciting and less fresh. And, and and so more and more, I feel like over the years, we've really turned much more of, of our attention to, to t- tackling things that are in the news and things that everybody is thinking about that are just, you know, that are also covered elsewhere. Um, and when we do that, we do it in the same style as we were doing the old personal stories. That is, we look for a character and we look for a situation where there's conflict and plot and we can, you know, see things unfold over time and, and look for a story with, like, people you can relate to or feel something for and uh and funny moments and emotional moments and and build from there is there still the same amount of like source material coming in where you can start building stories or has it gotten more difficult because you've already done so many stories that maybe there's you're feeling well this seems a little bit familiar it's not more difficult no like it was always really hard and it's still really hard to find stories that we think are are good enough to to put them put on the air and so how big is the staff now? Now, it's funny you guys this. I just counted. We have 16 producers now, so it's a huge staff. Uh, and the reason why we can do that is thanks to podcasting, that, uh-huh. that our audience basically has doubled because of podcasting. And, and with the doubling of the audience, we've been, we were able to bring in more money from the people who do the little, you know, 15-second underwriting spots, you know, at, at the end of each show. And um, with that extra money, we've been able to hire more people, which means that we can do more in-depth reporting. And we can, you know, assign a person to just go off and spend two or three months doing one story. And we have enough people to cover the rest of the show. It's really, as you say, like allowed us to do much more hardcore investigative reporting and, and just much more ambitious journalism. It's been like a real boom. That's cool. Um, what's the balance now between podcasting percentage of listeners and uh and broadcasting. I mean, it, it flipped. I think two years ago, where where uh, now uh, the number of people listening on the radio is the same as it's been for over a decade. It's been it's two point two million people listening each week over public radio, 
And now at this point, about 3 million people download each episode as a podcast. Wow. That's cool. So I would say, like, when we talked last time, you said that podcasting seemed like soccer in this country, that it's always going to be the next big thing, and it never just quite is. And would, would you say that that's finally turned the corner? It's turned the corner. I have to say, like, it's still just like a fourth of Americans who listen to podcasts um, in any kind of real way. And, and, so, and so, like, a lot of the country has not discovered this. Like, like I would say to anybody, you know, like encountering this interview, like, like chances are three out of four that you've never, you're not listening to podcasts and, and just know like you're normal. <laughs> Most people, you're solidly in the majority. So there's room to grow, apparently, still then. There's room to grow. Yeah, yeah there's, 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 there's room to grow. Yeah, because it's weird. I would have, you know, when they hired me to do that podcast for the, the shirt company, I was a little nervous because I thought, well, what if nobody listens? And here we've got, we have like 8,000 listeners a week. Which is insane <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah, it's great. But um, yeah. yeah, but we're we're very happy because again, it, it comes back to uh, comes back to stories. Is it the fact that everybody can do a podcast? Though, does that kind of like you kind of mentioned it earlier that you know people are everyone's telling stories now? It, does it just kind of does that affect you in, in any way, or do you guys just kind of plunge on and you know do what you've always done? Uh, we, we just kind of do what we've always done. I mean, if anything, it, you know, it's nice to have it's nice to have competition. It's nice to have uh, Reply All and Invisibilia and Michael Lewis and Malcolm Gladwell and uh, you know and the Daily out there, like you know, doing good work that that we have to compete with. It's it's nice it's nice to have peers. And do you listen to a lot of podcasts yourself or other radio shows? I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I very much do. Yeah, okay. yeah, like like. Uh, and uh, and then the podcast I'm listening to the most, like the the number one podcast I find myself recommending to people, uh, is is the New York Times podca- podcast, The Daily, which um which in basically tell one story from the paper each day, but it's just done with such um they just have great editorial judgment. They just really choose well, and the way they tell the stories. Um, is as is as narrative, like there's characters and plot and things unfold, and and often the version of the story that'll be in the newspaper will be the the normal, you know, here's what happened today. That will be the lead of the story, whereas the version that you get on the podcast, but like okay, okay, so let's just go back to when this started, you know, six years ago, and like who's involved, and they just kind of take you through. Here's the characters, and here's what happened, and 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 for you know for all kinds of stories that just turns out to be like a very appealing way to hear the story and 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 really like it you know if you're if you're not somebody uh i feel like there's there's topics that i feel like oh i don't have any interest in this one and then because of the way it's told i just like it totally pulls me in and makes me interested are there any other podcasts that you envision being launched under the this american life umbrella well, I mean, we've done two so far like like, you know we we did the podcast serial and we did the podcast s-town and uh, we do have a few that we're working on, but we're not uh, talking about those yet. And, uh, and getting back to seven stories, since you've been doing this for a while, I, it, are, do stories rotate in and out, or are these basically the same seven stories? Or uh, It changes every time. Okay. But, yeah, it's, it's, changed, it's changed quite a bit since I started. And uh, are you using more technology these days? Because last time we spoke, I was asking if you use an iPad up there, and you said, you know, that probably would be a good idea. And I was wondering if you'd kind of advanced along or are you still doing it the way you've always done it um the technology is advanced that that is i stand on stage with uh with an ipad and on the ipad basically i have a little mixer so i can play quotes and music and sound and make things sound just like they sound on the radio when i talk but then in addition i can fire video clips uh from there 
so, second show uh, videos as well. And do you like performing live? You seem to get really good reviews, all the ones I've read on the, the various shows. I do like performing live, yeah. Like, I, I, feel like, um, I feel like I have a very, um, yeah, like it's nice to be in front of people. It is very different than, than being on the radio. Like in the radio, like, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, talking on the radio like I'm in a you know I'm in a soundproof room talking into a microphone and I know in a kind of theoretical way I'm talking to people but it's a little bit abstract whereas whereas to be in an actual room with people and they're there and I can talk and if something's funny they laugh like it's 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 much it's a much more enjoyable performance situation and 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 I do like being on stage like I have to like sometimes I have to remind myself like when I before I give a talk of like remember you like you, you know you just I have to give myself like a little pep talk of like you chose this like, <laughs> you way to make this happen you know try to have a nice time you know when you're on stage um, and 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 generally like I, I do I, I it's 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 fun. Did it take time to get your stage legs, or were you pretty? Because you've been doing this for a while now, I know that. But like, uh, but you've been it doing totally it. took me time. And in fact, the very first experience I had um, doing this kind of public speaking was at McAllister College, uh, like in the first year of our of our show being a national show, and um, and uh, and I went there. I was invited to speak there, uh, and uh, and I had never I hadn't been on stage since like college. You know what I mean, like. Like I hadn't given a talk for people or anything like that. Like most people, I hadn't done much public speaking. Like I was on the radio, but I wasn't ever in front of an audience. And I really just felt like I have no idea what I'm doing or what this is going to be like or how to do this. And so the thing I did at that time was I was just like, well, if I can just structure this so it's exactly like a radio show, then I'll then I'll be comfortable. And in fact, I made them get me like a mixing console and a way to play back, you know, quotes and music and stuff. And so I sat on stage in a mixing console. So it really was just like being on the radio and just like give my talk that way. And then, and then over time, like, and I remember like the night before I went out, I really felt like it was like the first time I'd ever been to a foreign country or something. I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be. <laughs> and then, and then it went okay. Like it went okay. And, um, and then after that, I started giving these talks where where I would basically just simulate exactly the experience of being on the radio, but I was on stage, and uh, and that got me used to it, and 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 uh, and now I feel very comfortable. Cool. Well, great, man. I uh, appreciate you doing this again because I know you're a super busy guy putting the show together. Always so nice of you to uh, to talk to me at length and let me use this for my podcast as well. And uh, continue success with the live show, and hopefully we'll get you back here in Cincinnati sometime soon, where I am. And okay. in, in the meantime, we'll, uh, this will be uh, this interview will be for City Pages, of course, in Minneapolis, and it'll be in print and online when you're up there. So look for it there. And okay. uh, and thanks thanks again, Ira. Well, thanks so much. Right. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks again to Ira Glass for being on the show. Such a nice man. Just do my little podcast. Just some guy, well, it used to be in his family room doing a podcast. Now I'm in my basement doing a podcast, but it's the same thing. Couldn't be more helpful. Couldn't be happier to, to talk on our show and take time out from his very insanely busy schedule. You can find Ira Glass on the road at Longwood Gardens in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, June 16th. He's at the Auditorium Theater at the WBEZ in Chicago, where it all started uh, June 22nd and then June 
July 20th, uh, uh, Chautauqua Institution, Chautauqua, New York. And then, of course, This American Life can be found on your local public radio station. And, of course, at thisamericanlife.org. How about that? There you go. Okay, so we're up to our tune of the week, song of the week. Uh, it is from the 1975. i got to tell you, I slept on this album. Uh, a, I believe it's called Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships. And the, the first couple of singles that came out were fine. Uh, you might recall that uh, Love It If We Made It was one of Fangirl's top five songs of the year. That was the one we... Um, oh, excuse my other computer coming on here. Uh, it was one of the uh, Fangirl's top five. And you can go back and listen to that from January. And uh, I liked the first couple of singles, but I was like, eh. And I didn't really revisit the album. I bought it, but I never really listened to it. And then uh, BBC Radio 1, who are big 1975 supporters, didn't play the subsequent singles. And uh, anyway, we saw them in concert. They were fantastic. If you have a chance to see them, see them. If you haven't seen them recently, uh, all, all the more reason to. Uh, if you've seen them before, good show. Bathed mostly in blue and purple light. Matt Healy didn't really step out in front too much. And uh, now he's really taking control. The set is much brighter. There's a lot more movement, a lot more stuff to see. And, of course, all those great tunes, a lot of which they uh, they left on the table, uh, which is uh, which is kind of surprising. I still haven't gotten near the city. I've seen them three times in three years, and I'm going to see them again in two weeks, and they're at Bunbury. More on that uh, in the coming weeks. But anyway, uh, the one song that really jumped out at me from the new album that, uh, after hearing it live was uh, Two Time, Two Time, Two Time. And this is a catchy little number, and, uh, boy, I just can't stop listening to this. This is going to be our song of the week on P.S. Tape Recorder. It's the 1975 P.S. Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. You at my ears.